0: Well, it's podcast recording time, Andrew, and the number on our podcast
1: clicker is 130. 130 weeks. Yeah. That's a long time.
0: <laughs> it is. I think that exceeds two years. Yeah,
1: it's a good thing you didn't tell me in the beginning. We're going to do 130 <laughs> podcasts. I might not have agreed to it.
0: <laughs> well, it's easier to get the professional talker to talk on a podcast than to get him to write an article. Well, that's true. And
1: it's been fun. We've addressed so many uh, various topics and had guests and answered questions, and it really has been a good thing.
0: Yeah, it has been. So today is an Ask Andrew Anything. So every 10 episodes, we do one of these Uh. where we get a variety of questions. Some are related to writing. Some actually are not, like the first one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, let's dive in. What's the first one?
0: This is from Sandra in Virginia. My son is an, was an A student in high school and is doing well enough in college except for Latin. <laughs> he took Latin for three years in high school and did fine, but he's taking his second year of Latin in college, and it's proving to be excruciating for him. Do you have any advice for this level of Latin? So year two college.
1: Well, I think there's three options. One, just plod through, just slog through it and put in the hours you need to to pass the classes. This
0: is for the son, not the mother. Right.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, he's in college, so why does she even care? But nevertheless, (laughs) a second option would be just quit. You know, when something gets too hard, just give up. Probably he's gained great value from having done Latin, and he's bumped into a teacher Mm -hmm. who really wants to squeeze every possible last drop of blood out of his students. (laughs) That would be my guest or her. The third thought I had would be to get some experience outside the university class. I have a good friend, and she's been now to several, and she's, you know, beyond college age, actually. She's been to several of these Talk Latin weeks. Sometimes they're called Biduum, B-I-D-U-U-M. So she travels to go to this, But for her, she said that's been just a hugely significant burst of confidence, meeting other people who kind of love Latin. It's brought all of the difficult reading and translation, kind of livened it up a bit. It's hard to study something with zeal. And interesting in that in Latin, the word for study and the word for zeal are actually the same word. But it is hard to study something with zeal if you don't love it anymore. And whatever this young man ends up doing, whether he continues in Latin, isn't probably going to make or break his career. And it is possible to run into teachers that just want to make a point. You know, this is the hardest class you're ever going to take kind of attitude. So I would say either just keep on and survive, kind of like you, you got into the thing and now you just have to keep going, put one foot in front of the other and hope you come up with a grade that doesn't look too bad on the transcript and then be done with it. Mm-hmm. Or, like I said, uh, try to renew the enthusiasm. Uh, obviously, if the student decided to take Latin in college, he must have had an interest, you know, some enthusiasm for mm-hmm. it at some point. And it's sad that the circumstances may killing that or maybe he still has the zeal and it just is really tough which often happens in other things like you know calculus or microbiology or all sorts of classes you know that have the reputation of testing the metal of the student
0: yes exactly good thank you i hope that was helpful sandra
1: Probably not, but at least it gave us something to talk about here.
0: (laughs) So I have another question. This one's from Christine, a little more specific to our writing method. So perhaps you're on safer ground here.
1: Probably, yes.
0: So one's... About grammar, but it has to do with invisible ING openers. Oh. Are there a limited number of words that work as invisible openers? For example, being exhausted, the man sank down into a sofa. So she gets this.
1: Yes, she does.
0: In this example, it works to drop the word being. Do all words work this way? It doesn't sound right to me to say tired, the man sank down into a sofa Or Sleepy, the man.
1: Yeah. She's got a very nuanced sense of language here, probably informed by many years of reading good and great books, perhaps reading good and great books out loud to Mm -hmm. her family. So she's looking at stylistic tendencies that aren't really rules or, or something that can be codified. But I do understand exactly what she's thinking. When you say exhausted, the man collapsed under the sofa, you're dealing with a three syllable word. Mm. Exhausted. When you say tired, you're dealing with a two syllable word, so it feels a little thin. If the sentence were tired from a long day's work, comma, the man collapsed on the sofa, that might sound a little better to most listeners or readers mm-hmm. or writers. So there isn't a rule about it, but the general rule for advanced writing is, does this sound good? Now, of course, does this sound good is only going to exist with that great database of reliably correct, sophisticated, and stylish language that can only be acquired through the reading of good and great books, the memorization of poetry, the feedback from writing teachers who could convey a sense of why this might be better than that. So I think technically it would work with any verb in the past perfect tense, right? So you could say, defeated, the team collapsed into the locker room and bemoaned their loss. That is short for having been defeated. So you're really looking also at the past perfect tense. And that only becomes tricky with the irregular verbs. Oh, I see. Right, So we'd say sing, sang, sung. Mm -hmm. So being sung or having been sung, that's the irregular form there, Mm -hmm. then that would apply to what was being sung. Sung by the famous tenor comma, now, what was sung? the Ave Maria brought tears to my eyes, or whatever, so the idea of that that irregular verb form that can be a trick for people as well. so her question is a very one about a, a very subtle nuance of language, and I would guess that if anyone tried to write rules about this, it would be pretty easy to find exceptions and cases where that rule didn't apply. I think she's on the right track here. Exhausted, comma, he collapsed. That sounds good. Mm -hmm. Tired, comma, doesn't sound as good. And I think, I'm guessing, it has to do with the length of the word being three syllables.
0: So the next question is from Holly. She is just asking for some advice. She says, it would be great to get a little more help taking notes from lectures and then writing paragraphs. I'm finding that my son and I are needing some more guidance in this area.
1: Well, it sounds to me like she has watched the student workshop level C that is included with the teaching writing structure and style course. Both the old one and the new one, I did a very similar thing with this idea of taking notes from a live lecture. We don't really have a whole lot more available on that. We do have the advanced communication series that has the power tips for planning writing in college-level paper, as well as the advanced note-taking skills, which is kind of a keyword outline on steroids mm-hmm. with a, a graphic use of keywords to aid in memory and understanding and relationship and recall. But those are the only two things we have. So I guess the thing to do would try to keep practicing a little bit And we should make a note that that could be a good product for us to produce at some point. I actually did have, I don't know, a decade ago or more, the idea of producing a product called Live Lectures for Practice in Note Taking, (laughs) where we would do exactly that and have Mm -hmm. maybe a series of 10 lectures of increasing complexity and a demonstration of how notes could be taken so I don't have any specific idea except you know follow basic principles you want the content to be at or below the reading level or listening level of the student in the beginning so that it's relatively easy usually when people start struggling it's when the complexity is over their their comprehension or attention or speed level so keep it simple keep practicing perhaps you want to look into the advanced communication series, which I'm sure we will redo at some point mm-hmm. in the future. Uh, but that is a, a very good skill to take into college and one that probably homeschoolers more than kids who are in high school could use practice with. You know, If you're in high school, generally you're used to getting some lectures, taking some notes, mm-hmm. studying those notes, and having a test. Homeschoolers may or may not be doing that. So Definitely. I think she's on the right track. I wish I had a magic packet to sell.
0: Yes. Leah asks, I'm interested in one of your courses for my 10th grade daughter. I would like something that she could work on independently. Do you have recommendations? Are there assessments built into the program?
1: Well, I think our our answer there is, number one, yes, the Student Writing Intensive Group C and the Student Intensive Continuation Course Group C are designed for a student to do this somewhat independently because all of the new ideas are presented on video and then there's practice assignments. However, we don't really have assessments built in. You would have to go and take one of our online classes in order to get that type of thing because honestly, testing companies all over have been trying to figure out how do you use a machine or a non-human device or rubric to assess writing. It's just not possible, because writing is thinking. Thinking is a distinctly human thing, and computers can calculate, and they can store information. But the artistic side of it, you know... Fortunately, we have an awesome and incredible team of online instructors who give very detailed feedback and assessment to the students... At what I believe is a very reasonable cost given the time mm-hmm. that they put in to you know each paper for each student in each class. So I would say to get what you're looking for, you probably want to uh, check out our, our online classes that are a combination of the video of me presenting and then the teacher being able to coach the students individually and answer questions in an, in an online group setting.
0: So Melissa, she's one of our podcast listeners,
1: Okay. which is fun. That is good.
0: She says, I recently listened to episode 66 of the podcast, and this was on special needs, struggles, and suggestions, part 3, ADHD. My son has ADD and learning disabilities, such as significant delays in spelling and mild delays in reading and math. He also has delays in working memory and processing speed. He's currently in the fifth grade in a public school. I am unfortunately unable to homeschool him, but we are working with him after school and in the summers as much as possible. I wanted to see what would be recommended for him. He is currently in fifth grade, so I'm unsure whether level A or level B, grades 3 to 5 or grades 6 to 8, would be best for him. Any other information or resources you would have? That could direct us would be so much appreciated. Thanks so much. Sounds like a really dedicated mother.
1: Yeah, very dedicated. Obviously, listened carefully. Mm-hmm. The quick answer to that question is go with a level A. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're dealing with a child who's got issues, whatever they are, whether it's the ADD type or auditory processing disorder or your mild dyslexia or your dysgraphia or your mobility, I mean, anything you're dealing with, mm-hmm. you want to err on the side of having it be a you know, too simple rather than too complex. So if she's going to do our student writing intensive, say, over the summer, I would definitely go with the group A and not worry about, you know, what's his age in relationship to his grade and what other kids are doing. Actually, most kids, if they do the student writing intensive, even the level A will give them a huge advantage when they have to go write things in middle school on top of that and i would guess she's already looked at you know the, the dietary things that can affect the behavior obviously there's a lot of research in that area sleep is a thing i've been learning a lot about recently <laughs> and that's sometimes a challenge for kids are always on the move they they spike up and down but regulating uh, to what degree sleep minimizing screens obviously and i always do refer people to the work of Matthew Newell at the Family Hope Center, uh, Family Hope Center, all one word, .org, I believe. They do work with children and families with children all up and down the whole spectrum from profoundly brain-injured, immobile, deaf, blind, all the way up to you know kids such as she has described that clearly would benefit from a neurological organization program. And in some ways, with kids like that, the time you have is better spent trying to kind of fix and organize the brain itself than try to play catch up on academic, on the academic side. So she might, you know, take a look and see what they have to offer and discover whether one of their training courses would be Mm -hmm. something they could fit into their life.
0: Sounds great. Next question from Mary. She homeschools her 14 and 16 year old sons using IEW structure and style writing program. Her question is, she really, lo- well, her comments are, I really love it and it's working well. However, my 14 year old has some issues, lack of proper punctuation in sentences, run-ons and tense agreement, to name a few. I've addressed these in editing, but I feel like he's missing something pretty important. Should I continue to coach him through editing? He is grasping all the dress ups quite well. We are in unit four.
1: Oh, that's a great question. And uh, she's certainly not alone. I think she should be comforted to know that there are a good number of 14-year-old boys who are less than uh, perfect in their mechanics of writing, although they have the great vocabulary and ideas. And if you you know, just read it, it would probably sound quite good. So I have two suggestions here. One would be do some practice of editing skills separate Mm. from the composition. Keep editing and making him copy it over or implement those changes. That's really important. Don't stop being his editor and doing that for him. But you might supplement that with one of our Fix It grammar courses. So I think she could probably start with level two Robin Hood or maybe even level three The Frog Prince. I would yeah, you know, I guess err on the side of level 2. The Fix It Grammar began really as an editing practice program. We added in some things about grammar rules and parts of speech to kind of make it a more complete course, but at its core That's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's learning some of the rules, some of the conventions, having an attention to detail. And the boys tend to enjoy it because it's not a test, it's not a workbook, it's more like a game. So there's a sentence with some embedded errors or missing things, and the teacher gets the, you know, fixed up sentence with, the missing things put in or the errors corrected or whatever. So the students have to try to fix those errors and then you compare the fixed-up version with what they did and see if they could fix it all. So it's kind of more like a game than a test or a workbook or a chore. And we've had great, great feedback on that. The other thing I might suggest, this could be a little harder to implement, but I think it would have great value and that is to have him do just some copy work so that maybe 10 or 15 minutes a day he is just copying some well written language mm-hmm. it could be a story that he likes it could be scripture if this person is so inclined it could be part of a book that he enjoys i would i would try to find something that you know isn't too modern and too simple. I'd try to find, you know, for a 14-year-old something that has some literary value, maybe an O. Henry story or Mm -hmm. an Anderson fairy tale or or something. And, you know, I tried this experiment on myself. I actually copied one year the entire book of John by hand as an adult, Mm -hmm. you know, as a 50-something-year-old person, Mm -hmm. because I was curious about the effect of copy work. And what I discovered was a few things. Number one, it's like slow motion reading. So you end up contemplating and thinking about what you're copying a whole lot more than if you just read it. Right. Which for the book of John was a you know an enriching activity. But I think any good literature would provide that. The second thing is, is it causes you to have an attention to detail that you don't have when you're busy trying to get the thoughts from your brain into words, hear what you said, remember what you said, and then get that onto paper, you're in a different universe there. But if you're just copying something, you start to notice oh, capitals, periods, punctuation, quotation marks, M dashes, little things that you might not even think about if you just read something. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is it can also help with spelling, oddly enough, because when kids write, they will kind of have either a tendency to avoid words they can't spell or just give it their best guess and then it'll have to get fixed up later. But they're kind of done with the whole process. Whereas if you're copying something, you may notice, oh, that's how that word is spelled as you copy it. And that's one more reinforcement, one more bit of information. So, you know, a 14-year-old boy doing 15 minutes of copy work a day might seem to the modern educator a practice of questionable validity. But in my experience, it could have great value. And if there's resistance, you might set up some kind of motivational system. Right. And say, you you know, for every thousand words you copy correctly... You get a a point, and when you get twenty points or something, you get a big prize. You know, Mm -hmm. depends on whether a motivational, an external motivational system is appropriate or needed. Right. I should think that that will help, and and I've also noticed that it has the side effect in some kids. And she didn't say that this student was slow, Mm -hmm. but if you know, for someone who has a student that's just very slow in making letters and words on paper, and that can be a frustration too. This is just building stamina. You know, it's just running laps or, you know, doing jumping jacks. It's building the stamina to be able to go do something faster and easier down the line.
0: Sure. Uh, just, just two comments to that. You talk about the importance of copy work in your talk on writing. So we'll have that included in the show notes. And, mm-hmm. and I think about this 14-year-old and the value of this. Likely this student is going to be taking the SAT or the ACT, and if they do the writing portion of it, they've got to write. And so that student will have an advantage because they'll be able to write.
1: Well, and you know, a lot of the SAT writing portion isn't an essay. It's reading a selection Mm -hmm. and then choosing which thing fits in the best, which really is kind of a form of proofreading. It tests your language database, but it also tests your attentiveness to detail. And so I think the fix-it is uh, a great practice also for the type of uh, questions that come up on the SAT or the CLEP exam. And I'll tell you, if you do three years of fix-it, if you start at level 2 and go to level 5 or level 3 and go to level 6, you're doing some very advanced editing there. In fact, I have tried myself the fix-it level 6. It's tough. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, and they, there actually is copy work as a part of the of fix the it. fix it. That's yep. true.
1: You copy into a notebook your fixed up version of that sentence. Yeah, good,
0: good. All right, we have one more question, and then I've got some lightning round questions. Okay, okay. This is from Paula. She says, "Hi there. I'm a, I'm in a bit of a pickle." I am tutoring an IEW writing class at a tutoring center, and the grades range from 3 to 8. The director insists that we use medieval history-based writing lessons, which is a great resource, might I add. It's actually been going really well, but now we have started Unit 6, and the younger students are confused. Do you have any suggestions? The lessons will not get easier as we progress through the book. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I think her challenge with such a widely mixed age group and this can happen even if the age isn't so great, but the aptitude is, is going to be to start customizing the assignment for different students. And you know she's going to have to communicate probably both to the director and the parents that part of the whole IEW philosophy is to customize assignments for children even within one classroom and not expect everybody to go the same speed and do the same thing. So with Unit 6 and, you know, a very young grade 3, you know, what, 8- or 9-year-old student, Mm -hmm. I would suggest that they just use one source and Mm -hmm. not do multiple sources. Just go back to the way the student was doing it in Unit 4, and that's okay. That would be one option. Another option would be to see if the mom could sit in the class with the student and help the student do any of the in-class work that's going on, and then continue that level of active help mm-hmm. at home. Now, sometimes that's possible. Sometimes it isn't, just given the nature of co-ops or schedules or courses. Oftentimes, parents put their kids in a writing class, in a tutoring center, specifically because they don't want to have to teach it at home. So, you know, that makes it a little more difficult. But if, if the parent can be involved, then I think they can just do it together and not have an expectation that the younger students in the group are going to, quote, get independent on Unit 6. The other word of caution, of course, you know I'm going to say this, is customize that checklist Mm -hmm. by crossing things off. If students in that group are saying, oh, this checklist is so hard, do we have to do all the dress-ups and all these openers and Okay, if they say that, they're basically saying, you taught me too much too fast. So let's back up a little bit, cross a few things off, and, uh, you know, go to what we, you know, have been promoting for many years now, the easy plus one rule. The stylistics checklist for any student in any class should really be just what's easy plus one new thing, and only one new thing until that is easy And then another new thing until that is easy. And later in the year, you reach a point where not everything is easy for everyone. It's easy for some people, which is why you got there. But you want to go back and say, you know what, let's just focus on these four dress-ups. And you can even kick it back on the student. You tell me when this is pretty easy. Then we'll add to your checklist and you can do that. So this is obviously more work for the teacher to customize the assignments a little bit, to customize the checklist. But that will give the student, each student, the very best learning experience. And that's what our job is after all. Right.
0: Good. So we didn't get to all of the submitted questions because I do want to get to these lightning round questions from our students. Students from across the nation. But anyone who did submit a question and to our listeners who are submitting questions to us, thank you. It's really fun to get... A variety of questions that we get from Latin to piano to grammar to minutia details about dress ups and sentence openers. <laughs> and we answer everyone, even if we can't answer them on on the air. So Okay,
1: good, good.
0: So from students across the nation at various levels who are having you as a writing teacher, either live or through video, here they are. Uh oh. Okay. Elijah asks, What's your favorite
1: song? My favorite song is from the musical Sarah Plain and Tall, and it goes, Oh, would you miss me, Sarah? Would you miss me, Sarah, dear? If a band of evil pirates came and ripped right off my ear, would you miss (laughs) me? Oh, no, I would not. Would you miss me? No, I I would. Won't. I can't really sing it, but (laughs) it sticks in my brain. It's just a continuous (laughs) earworm for me.
0: (laughs) Well, since you mentioned Sarah, Sarah has a question for you. What book are you currently
1: reading? Why We Sleep. It's the most interesting and possibly important book that I have read in many, many, many years. I wish I had read it sooner. It explains so much about me and my family and my life and the world we live in. It's great science. It's well written. I'm actually listening to it. So Sarah, I don't know if that counts in your mind as reading, but as far as I can tell, it's the same thing. That's what I'm listening to. I'm supposed to start reading Plato's Republic for a study group I'm joining next month. So we'll see if <laughs> if I get through that or not. So Daniel asks, what's your favorite drink? That would depend on the time of day. So we'll <laughs> simply leave it at that. Okay,
0: okay. So if you were to answer coffee, then my next question would be... <laughs> How many gallons of coffee do you think you drink a year? Lily asked this question.
1: Oh, come on. That's a math question. Well, <laughs> let's see. If you drank two cups a day at 12 ounces, that would be one-fourth of a gallon, right? Is so 48 ounces in a gallon? 128. Oh, 128 in a gallon. Okay. So 128 divided by 12 would be approximately 10. So you drink a gallon every 10 days, so 35 gallons, maybe?
0: 35 gallons of coffee.
1: In a year's time?
0: From Andrew Poudois.
1: I don't know. thats <laughs> I mean, I'm doing the math in my head, right. but that sounds like it might be a possibility. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it goes up and down.
0: Well, I know that when we're here in the office and we run out of coffee and it's your turn to pull that last cup, we're all scrambling to be sure you have enough coffee, boss. <laughs> oh, the power
1: of being the boss. It's actually just the fact I don't know how to make the coffee with that machine.
0: <laughs> so Maria asks, who is your favorite composer? Bach. Maya asks, what's your favorite movie?
1: Oh, that's tough because there's been so many great movies recently. And you forget about the the old ones that were your favorites. And then you have a new favorite. So I don't know if this is... My, I, I don't know. Can I, I'll say my favorite movie of all time is probably The Scarlet and the Black. Mm. Christopher Plummer, Gregory Peck, mm. based on the true story of Monsignor O'Flaherty during World War II in Italy in the Vatican, and he's running an underground railroad smuggling people out of Nazi-controlled Italy and Christopher Plummer comes in as this German officer that's determined to stop Father of Flaherty. And it's a great, great acting. Classic actors and a great story. It's a little bit of violence. I wouldn't show it to anyone under about 11 or 12. But I think it's it's one of the greatest. Of recent movies, I have to say Collateral Beauty mm. is probably one of the most uh, powerful in terms of its uh, cathartic effect, emotional effect. Will Smith plays a man whose six-year-old daughter has died from a, a rare brain cancer, brain disease, and and he's gone into a kind of completely non-communative, non-functional state. And through a series of events, he ends up having conversations with time, death, mm-hmm. and love. Mm-hmm. And there's a healing that happens there in a very powerful, a very Dickinsonian storyline, reminiscent of The Christmas Carol. Mm. And uh, I I could go on for a long time about all the really great movies that have come out in the last couple of years. So maybe we could do a podcast just on movies sometime.
0: Sounds great. All right. Two more. How many ties do you actually have?
1: Haven't counted, but it's got to be in the few dozen But I need to purge because there's some ties I just don't like anymore. (laughs) I haven't worn them for years and I probably never will. But I recently got a gift of Tie of the Month Club so I can keep having a new tie every class I teach. So, I don't know.
0: (laughs) That's the goal. Emily asks, do you have any bow
1: ties? Not a one. (laughs) But my friend Andrew Kern actually knows how to tie a bow tie. And along with his superior intellect, those two things, I will will never be as good as him.
0: (laughs) And I'm going to let Jack, end this with the last question. Can I use an emoji in my keyword outline?
1: Symbols, numbers, and abbreviations are free. It's just some of those emojis are awfully very complicated little things now. So remember the rule, you can use a symbol, but it can't take longer to draw the symbol than it does to write the word that's replacing it. Good,
0: good. Well, these are always great episodes. It's really fun, like I said, to hear from our listeners. And please, if you have any questions for us, Send them to podcast at com, And if we don't answer them in episode 140, which will be in 10 weeks, okay. we will have one of our amazing customer service agents respond to you.
1: All right. Sounds good.
0: Thank you. Thank you.